friends. Welcome to church. So good to see you guys. Uh, there's a lot of things that sometimes when we look at it, we uh, put as the center of our life that maybe ought not to be there. Um, so this is a song about kind of fixing that around, focusing on God. So. In all your glory, turn my eyes and tune my heart to sing and wonder of how you love me. Tune my heart, oh. There is 
risen Christ, lifted high, Jesus now be glorified. The risen Christ, lifted high, Jesus now be glorified. Jesus, there is none more beautiful than Jesus. There is none more powerful than Jesus. Westgate Chapel, I am glad that you're here with us this morning. Thank you for joining us to worship. You may have a seat. If you don't know me, I'm Nick. I am the music and worship assistant here at Westgate. I'm so glad to see you. If you're a first-time guest with us this morning, first of all, thank you. Second, uh, if you'd like to, after the service, to head back to the guest services area, a host would love to meet with you and get to know you. And we have a small gift for uh, saying thank you for joining us for the first time. Um, if you don't have sermon notes, we'd love for you to get those either by talking to an usher or by going on to our, I don't have my phone, onto our handy dandy Westgate app and seeing the notes there. Um, also, if you would like to, please fill out the connection card, whether it's your first time or hundredth time here. Uh, we'd love to get to know you more, hear how we can pray for you. We as a staff pray for you guys every week. That is our privilege and honor. Um, we have a couple things we want you guys to know, so please take a look at the screen. Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. We are so glad you chose to worship with us today. My name is Evan and I'm on the worship team here at Westgate. Thanks for joining us. Here are a few of the important things we want to highlight for you this week. Our next child dedication class is coming up on February 25th at 10.45 a.m. At Westgate Kids, we want to partner with and equip parents to raise a generation of children who desire to grow with Jesus, engage in community, and reach their neighbors and the nations. Join our kids' ministry leaders for a one-week class on Sunday, February 25th at 10.45 a.m., where we will talk about what child dedication is and how to start discipling even the youngest of children. This class will also prepare you and your child for participation in our upcoming child dedication services taking place on March 10th in both services. Sign up by checking out the Westgate app or heading to westgatechapel.org slash events. Did you know that Westgate has a ministry especially for men and women ages 55 plus? Teenagers meet monthly for a time of socializing, worshiping through song, and meaningful fellowship. Each gathering includes a spiritual devotion and a delicious meal. For more information, contact Pastor Randy at randyf@westgatechapel.org and become a part of a community that values connection and shared experiences. Are you brand new to Westgate? Mark your calendars. Our next new people party is next week. 
You're invited next Sunday after the second service for lunch. You'll get to meet some of our staff, connect with other new people, and learn a little about Westgate. Sign up at westgatechapel.org events to let us know you are coming. We can't wait to meet you. This morning's going to be an awesome time of worship together, and we're so glad you're a part of it. Enjoy the service. Back into musical worship, I would love it if you would stand and say hello to someone next to you. Sins of the world, his blood breaks the chains. 
That is our prayer this morning uh, as we cry out to you, as we shout out to you, hallelujah. Uh, we thank you that you are not a God who is far off or distant. You are not a God who does not hear us, uh, but we can yell, we can cry out. Uh, you hear our praise, you hear our pleas. Uh, and so we thank you as we come together uh, this morning as, as, a, as a family uh, to bring our praise uh, to you in your name. Amen. At this time, we are going to take this morning's offering. Um, as if you are in the center, can you go ahead and pass that uh, down? If you are new, you can just let that pass right by you. Uh, but we thank you for, um, yeah, the family that faithfully gives uh, to make our church possible.
Well, good morning. My name is Steve Fisher. I'm the pastor of student ministry here at the church. And I've realized that I haven't uh, spoke uh, on Sunday morning, at least up here, since the new construction was finished. And if you know me, you know I like to walk when I talk. And I'm real excited that I can, I mean, I can come all the way. You guys sometimes need some love over in this corner. I can come and talk right to you. I can make all these. I counted it out. It's like 20 paces all the way to the other side. I said I need a Fitbit to track how much exercise I'm getting. Uh, to our friends and family uh, on live stream, take a good look in case I walk off the camera view. Uh, church's best experience in person. We're glad you're joining us. But just in case you see me go off stage, I'll, I'll be back. Don't worry. I, I need to make a point to the sides, right? Okay, enough of that nonsense. But uh, I do want to share one kind of announcement uh, uh, idea for you before we get going here. Normally, I'm teaching on Sunday mornings. We, I teach high school, Sunday school class in first service. Um, we work through books of the Bible. It's great. Um, this morning... Uh, Adam Just, our pastor of adult pastor, well, executive pastor now, um, ran week one of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And this is a class that we're going to be running over the next eight weeks uh, for students and adults alike. And here's why I tell you this. Um, I was just at a conference in Indianapolis for pastors, uh, youth pastors from all across uh, the U.S. coming together, about 170 of us from our denomination. We were talking um, just through what's going on in ministry, what's working, what's not, uh, what is um, like kind of new trends that we're seeing. And then some speakers came in and were talking to us. And the stats that they shared, I want to share this to you to give you some hope. Um, they said, still to this day, in 2024, January 2024, if you are a parent, you still have the most influence in your student's life. It has not been superseded by the internet, by TikTok, by anything else. Their friends, you are still the number one influence in their life. So, I would encourage you that one of the reasons we run a class, we typically have classes all throughout the year, but once a year, we put our students in with our adults. One of the reasons is so that you as a parent, sometimes you tell me, my kid never tells me anything that's going on. You know what I'm talking about? You can actually go and take the class with them, hear what's being discussed, be able to connect with them, influence them in their discipleship towards faith. If you're a grandparent or an aunt or uncle or just an adult, this is a great way to A, help our students connect with our broader congregation and do something together. It's going to be a great class. Adam Just, I'll help teach a little bit. Would love for you to join us. Uh, you can sign up online or through the app to get more details on that. It will start next week for you guys while we're away on winter retreat. And then in two weeks, we'll all be together for the final seven weeks of the class. So would love for you to join us. All right. Have you ever had a little kid ask you that question? Why? You know what I'm talking about? You tell them something, and they say, why? You know, this could be as simple as you're trying to get them to eat their food. 
And you say, hey, buddy, you need to eat your broccoli. Well, why? Well, because it's good for you. Why? Well, so that you grow up big and strong. Why? So that then maybe you can get a good job and uh, go to college and then you can move out of my house. Well, why? Well, because I don't want you living here when you're 40. But why? Well, because I'm kind of worried about what other people will think of me. And I'm kind of a people pleaser. Well, they hold a lot. My friends have a lot of influence in my life. And well, why? Well, because I kind of was rejected as a little kid. And... And I never really fit in, and so I was always trying to get people's validation and their affection. And, well, why? Well, because I didn't eat my broccoli growing up. Uh, We've had those, right? If you've had a kid, uh, you know, you know they love to ask that question, why? And a lot of times they're silly and comical. But as we grow older, we don't stop asking why. It's actually not something we just grow out of. We might stop asking why I should eat my broccoli. We've kind of understood that one. But what happens when we start looking around at our world? And have you looked around our world recently? Left anyone saying, like, why? We see turmoil overseas. We see wars and and terrorist attacks. We see violence. We ask why. On our own homeland, our own country, man, it's a mess. You're like, it's just, it feels like it's going downhill and it's going there quick. And we ask why. Maybe it's not globally or nationally, but maybe it's just personally. I take a look at my life, and I'm struggling. And you go, why? God, I I feel like I'm following you, but my marriage is falling apart. My kid isn't, is leaving the faith. I lost my job. I got the diagnosis. What, What are you doing, God? Why? And these questions aren't silly or comical anymore right? These are the ones that are deep, that are profound, that depending how we answer them, they're they're life-changing. And they're either faith-building or faith-shattering. And these are questions that us as Christians ask and those that aren't, right? How could a good God look at this and not do something? He should do something. Why? And so over the next five weeks, uh, we are in a series appropriately titled, Why? We're going to look at the book of Habakkuk, a minor prophet in scripture, just three chapters, not too long. And we're going to try to understand what's going on. We're going to look at what it means to trust God even when I don't understand everything. When I still have whys. The late Tim Keller, a kind of well-known pastor and writer, wrote this about the book of Habakkuk. He said, Habakkuk's words are way too faithful for the secular 
and way too honest for the religious. Habakkuk's words are too faithful for the secular and too honest for the religious. So we're going to explore that today. We're only going to be in about four verses, so you're going to be able to hang with me. You can do it. Um, I want to give you a couple of background points, just so you know where this fits in. Often, sometimes we sit there, and you maybe are out there, and you start hearing a name like Habakkuk, and maybe some of you know this, and so it will be a reminder, and maybe some of you are like, ah, that's in the Bible? Like, I've never read that. And so let me start. We'll use the full stage. We'll go your left to right so you can follow along. Let's just do a quick dive into Bible history. Let's start with, we'll start with Israel. We'll start with Israel, the Jews in Egypt. Remember, they're enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. They've been there hundreds of years. And then God brings up a man named Moses. Oh, yeah, see, you guys are way smarter than first service. No, I'm... He brings up Moses, remember, and he frees the people through God's power. He brings about the plagues. They leave, and they're going to go to a land flowing with, oh, yeah, here we go. They're going to go to this promised land, but they kind of get rerouted in the desert for a generation, 40 years. Moses doesn't get to enter, but Joshua does. Remember, Joshua crosses the Jordan, goes to Jericho. They march around it. The walls come tumbling down. Maybe you sang that song as a little kid in Sunday school class. And they enter the promised land. And they take over. And God is protecting them and blessing them as they go. But they start to walk away from them. And they start, it says, as Joshua dies, and we go into the book of Judges, it says, and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Can you relate to where we're at right now, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And so God will pull his hand of protection away from them, his blessing. An enemy would come in and overtake them. Then they would cry out to God, would you save us? God would send a leader, a judge would save them, and the cycle keeps going and going. But then we get to the point where now the people go, you know what we really need? We need a king. If we had a king, this would be better. Even though God was supposed to be the king, we want a king like all the other nations have. That's literally what they say. And so they, God puts Saul as the king, head and shoulders above every other man. He looks like the best type of king. And yet, he falls. He fails. And so God takes the kingdom from him and he gives it to David. Remember David and Goliath? David is a man after God's own heart, but David also has his own issues. We know stories of David and Bathsheba and the adultery there and murder. And yet he has a son named Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, who takes the kingdom after David. And then Solomon has a son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam's he's kind of an idiot. I mean, that's the best way to say it. He's a fool. And he causes the division of the kingdom with a guy named Jeroboam. Sometimes I'm like, man, can the Bible names be any more confusing? Like to try to, re- Elisha, Elijah, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Like there's two guys and they end up splitting the kingdom. Half, well, more than half, but half to the north and half to the south. And the kings now go on this cycle. And they're terrible kings too. 
They intermix with the pagans. They don't follow after God. They worship after other gods. Their, their, their worship to God is, is intertwined with what the pagans are doing. And so these kings come and they fall. They come and they fall. And eventually the Assyrian nation comes and captures the northern kingdom. This is like 721 if I remember correctly B.C. And then the Babylonians 586 B.C. come and capture the south. Okay, so we've walked all the way through. So where does Habakkuk land? Habakkuk is after the northern kingdom has fallen to the Assyrians, probably right before the Babylonians have come. And so he's looking up at the north, seeing what's going on, seeing the evil. He's looking at his own southern kingdom and going, God, there's just, there's so much wrong. There's so much violence and evil wickedness. And this is where we find Habakkuk talking to God. It's a little different than a lot of the other prophets. He's called a minor prophet. One, that's not because his message is less important, just that he said it in fewer words. Some of you wish that your pastors could do that. Myself included. Uh, Right? Students are like, yeah, that was a good talk. You could have said it in 15 minutes though. He just says it in a shorter way. So someone like Jeremiah has chapter after chapter after chapter. Chapter Habakkuk is just shorter. So he's a minor prophet. But what's interesting about him is that he's not directly speaking to Israel. Instead, it's, we get like this, this glimpse of God and his conversation. And so he's talking to God and God is talking back to him. And so this is where we find ourselves this morning as Habakkuk looks around as he's looking at his world And he prays to God. So Habakkuk 1, uh, we'll read the first four uh, verses together here. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contentions arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is taking a look at what's going on and his opening lines set the tone. They're they're raw. They're real. Habakkuk is in a state where he looks around and says, all I see is violence. All I see is wrong. And God, why aren't you doing anything? How long do I have to keep crying out for you? And you don't answer. Like, are you seeing what's before me? Have you ever... um, then bringing the groceries home, this is my example, but maybe it's you're in the basement or in the garage and, and you need some help. For me, it's I'm grabbing all the groceries and I'm coming to the door and the door is locked or I just can't open it because I'm going to see how many bags I can carry. And you get to the door and what do you start doing? Start kicking, kicking the bottom of it. Maybe I'm trying to ring the doorbell with my elbow and, and I can hear my kids playing 
I can hear the TV in there. I'm like, I know you're right here. And so I'm kicking. I'm like, somebody's got to answer. And I'm crying out for help. Come answer the door. And I'm just standing and waiting and waiting. And here's what always happens. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to keep here. I'm going to keep kicking. Come grab the door. Come grab the door. I'm finally, okay, nobody's coming. And so I set the bags down and I go to open the door. And that's right when the door like opens every time. But, right, this is the comical illustration for you. But it's this idea that, like, when we need help, we start crying out. We start calling out. This is what Habakkuk does. He starts crying out, and he's like, I've been doing this a long time. Like, how long is this going to take? Do you have prayers that you get tired of praying? I don't know as a pastor if I'm supposed to say that. But like you start praying for something that God would move because I know he can and I believe he will. I pray for a week. I pray for a month. I pray for a year. Maybe five years. Maybe a decade. And I start getting tired. Like if I'm honest with you, I'm just I'm tired of praying this. You're not, you're either not answering, you're not hearing me. Like what is going on? Ever feel that? This is Habakkuk. He's looking what has happened to the northern kingdom, destruction by the Assyrians. He looks at his, old, his own people and their unwillingness to follow God. They're, they're looking after other things. The violence that's going on. The wickedness. And he says, how long till you do something? Verse 3, he starts listing out all of the things that he has to see. All of the offenses that are going on. Look at all of these that he says. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arrive. He's listing out all of the things that he's going, this is wrong. If you read this, I don't want to make this about the U.S., but at times, like, I feel that. Like, I could just lay out all the things that I see is wrong with our country, with our world, and with my life. And I'm like, God, what are you, why not move? Why not move? This is what I'm seeing. And so Habakkuk just lays it out to God. It's not necessarily, um, I don't know, the the... It's not sanitized. It's not cleaned up. It's going, God, I have a problem and here it is. And then notice how in this part he ends. He says the law is paralyzed. It doesn't work. It's, it's stagnant. It's just stuck. Justice never goes forth. Justice meaning, right, the things that are right Wrongdoing being punished, right? The, 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 good, the, the good actually being blessed. This isn't happening. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. He actually kind of abridges his first statement. He says, justice never goes forth. And then he goes, well, if it does, it's perverted. Here's a, maybe a good illustration for you. I'm not the most handy of men. I wish I was, but I'm not. Uh, that's just, 
I can't really do much with my hands. I mean, I can teach and I can wave them around to help keep you engaged. Uh, but when it comes to building things, like that's, that's not me. And so if I'm getting furniture, um, if I'm buying something, it's like pre-made or it's like Ikea some assembly required. You know what I'm talking about? And you, get the, you open the box and you're like, yeah, I can do this. And then it's like a hundred screws that you have to put in with this wrench that they give you that's like this big. And so one by one, you start going through and you're putting them in and following the instructions. And then for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of a man, like putting this all together. I'm like feeling great. I just made this bed. And then on like screw 99, I go to put it in and it doesn't fit. I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, I've been cruising along. And so I, I, I jam it in there a little bit more and I start to spin and it's not working. It's like the pre-drilled hole is just off, just enough that I, it, it won't work. Or the screw is just, I pull it out. I'm like, this one's bent a little bit. I'm like, oh, come on. Like all of the other ones and this one is bent. And so I'm struggling and I'm struggling and I'm trying to get it. You know, before you know, I'm kind of not in a happy place. Probably need to go to church with some confession or something. Have you ever been there? And it's, it's crooked, it's bent, it's wrong. And this is what Habakkuk says about the law, about justice. It's bent. It's crooked crooked. It doesn't work. And so he lays it out before God. You're not doing anything. Here is all the wrong that's happening. And this law that you gave that meant to like guide us, it's falling apart. It's not working. It's every, justice is so, is, is such a mess. Do you resonate with this all? Justice is a mess. It's crooked. And so he lays this out, this case before God. He lays this out and he cries out to God and he tells him, and this is what we would call lament. Lament is this idea of passionately expressing grief and sorrow. It's telling God, here is my issues. And this isn't just like a one-off in Habakkuk, right? Like this isn't just Habakkuk having a bad day and we get like four verses about his issue with God and what's going on. This is actually, if you go through scripture, you're going to see time and time again that the writers of scripture, inspired by God's spirit, write these cries out to God of lament. They're expressing this, this sadness this sorrow, this grief, and it's raw. It's not, it isn't all cleaned up. It's honest. Remember the book of Job? Remember the story of Job? Job is a righteous man. And Satan comes and like destroys his life. Takes everything for him. All of the good that's in his life. And Job, it says, he didn't do anything. And he sits there and through Job, tons of time crying out to God, lamenting for what has happened. I'll just read two verses out of chapter 24 from Job. He says, why does the Almighty not set a time for judgment? Why must those 
who, uh, who know him look in vain for such a day. When are you going to judge? When are you, you are the righteous judge. When are you going to make this right? And I'm just waiting in vain for this. In verse 10, the groans of the dying rise from the city and the souls of the wounded cry out for help. But God charges no one with wrongdoing. God, somebody's in the wrong here. Look at what's going on. When are you going to judge this rightly? And he sits there and he laments to God over the incredible pain he's in. Like, go, go and read Job. You know, it's easy to read it, but think like he's, he's sick, he's lost, and death is in his family. His, his livelihood is wiped out. Like, everything is taken from him. And so he cries out to God. The book of Lamentations, if you don't uh, know that, that is probably written by Jeremiah, most likely after the Babylonians come and capture the south, so kind of after Habakkuk. And it's, it's just purely lament, lamentation. It's lamenting to God, expressing my frustration, uh, my, my grief of what is going on. And so we won't read the whole, the whole book, but 5 uh, verse 20 why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? In this spot of desperation, we cry out to God. In this spot where everything is a mess, everything is going wrong, I don't know where else to go because I'm at the end of myself. I've tried everything. And God, you got to do something. Where are you? Why won't you answer? Why won't you step in? We see this into the New Testament, that when people are at the bottom, when people are in despair and in the pit, they cry out. A great story of this is we see Jesus going from town to town and he's healing and he's teaching. And those that were sick are coming to be healed. And the news of his ability, his power travels and so at one point in the book of Matthew, we have a story of Jesus coming in and there's this bl blind man named Bartimaeus and it's sitting there and he says that as Jesus comes, he hears that Jesus from Nazareth is there. Now remember, if you're blind, you're not traveling, you're not following him along, you know, you're not doing the greatest tours, you're, you're stuck where you're at. And as Jesus comes close, what does Bartimaeus do? We see this over and over. He cries out. Son of David, have mercy on me. I need your help. But those around, it says, rebuke him and tell him to remain silent. Jesus can't be bothered right now. Can you imagine Bartimaeus screaming out, knowing that, hey, this is maybe my one chance for change. Maybe Jesus could heal me. And so he cries out even more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I think there's probably two reasons why we often don't go to God in our state of despair, distress, hopelessness. 
And one of the reasons, I think, is because others aren't comfortable with it. I'm going to confess. So, you know, going to college, you take all these classes on how to be a, a preacher or teacher and how to do this or that. There's not a lot of classes to teach what to do when someone is weeping beside you because they just lost a child. When they're crying out to God because their life just feels hopeless. And what often we want to do is we want to fix that. We, we're kind of uncomfortable sitting there. And so we're going to say things which are true, like God has a plan. I completely believe that. But man, telling someone that has just lost a loved one, God has a plan as they're, as they're crying, I, I think all that's saying is like, okay, shh, you've, you've cried enough. You've wailed enough. You should be better now. I think we do that sometimes in church that we don't mean to, but we can't handle people's rawness, what they're bringing forth. And so we go, shh, that's enough. And so we have others saying that, hey, when you are in, your, in the spot of ultimate despair, of ultimate sadness, that like, well, you can go to God and cry for just like, Ah, uh, 15 seconds maybe. But we don't see that in scripture. Over and over what we got, we have is God listening to us. All of it. Of being able to, to deal with that. And so as maybe you're not in a space of lament, of crying out to God, can I encourage you that sometimes what's needed is Nothing. Is just sitting next to the person and being next to them as they cry out to God. Or maybe it's crying out with them, God, where are you? And there is a time for hope. Uh, there is a time for, uh, yes, I believe you are good. But I think we push past that too quickly. I've, I think I push past that too quickly. Because maybe I'm afraid of what other people will think if I really let them know how I'm feeling. And so I think one, one reason we don't cry out to God, even though we see this all through Scripture, that we can be honest and vulnerable and tell him, where are you? You're not doing anything. Where are you? And so we get from others maybe like, shh, shh. Oh, let me finish Bartimaeus though really quick. You know what happens at the end of that? G nobody shushes Jesus. What does he do? He calls, he calls him over and he heals him. He calls him over. He says, no, let him, let him come to me. Go get him. I want to hear what he has to say. Whoever, whoever's that, whoever's crying out to me, come bring him here. And I'm going to heal him. The second reason I think that uh, we often are bad at lamenting, uh, that we struggle with this, um, is how we view God. It's how we view God and we think of him. You have that coworker, or maybe family member, maybe it's a friend, who uh, when you talk to them, you have to be really careful what you say. 
You have to be really careful because if you say the wrong thing, like they have a temper and you're just going, like if I say that, they might just explode. Or maybe if, if I talk about something too honestly, they're going to get offended because I'm going to be this honest and raw and, and they can't take that. And so what ends up happening is that we start to hide from those people. Maybe, maybe not physically, but, but maybe you see them coming and you're like, oh, got to go to the bathroom. Like, but what we hide is often emotionally from them. We hide actually being honest with them because they can't handle it. They can't take it. And so I, everything that I, that I say has to be like censored. And so what ends up happening to those relationships, if, if you have those people? They're very shallow relationships. We don't, we can talk about, you know, the Niners are going to beat the Lions. Uh, maybe not, right? We can talk about that fun stuff. We can talk, oh, how was, how was Christmas? Oh, it was great. We had a great time. But I can't tell you, like, deep stuff about me. I can't tell you where I'm struggling or, or the pain I'm in because it's going to, when we're in pain and we struggle, it, we're not always careful with our words, right? And, and so they're going to hear it and then it's going to become this big thing. And so I'm just going to pull back from them. Here's, I think we do this with God. I think we treat God as though he's somehow fragile. And none of you would, you're like, no, God is almighty, omnipotent. He's all powerful, creator of the world. And yet when I pray, I need to make sure I better write out my prayer so that it's nice and cleaned up, that I make sure that I say, you know, 14 times how glorious you are, and a couple, you're powerful too, right? And so we treat him as though I cannot give you my stuff. I treat you as that friend who is fragile, who is too sensitive to hear me cry out in desperation. I don't know where you're at this morning uh, with this. You might be like, Steve, I came this morning to get a pep talk. I like those too. And I'm leaving feeling pumped up and like ready to go. God is good. But there's also times when I know I'm in a season and I wish for just a minute someone would acknowledge that life is really hard. That I'm struggling. That I'm allowed to come to church and open up to God and cry out to him. As I was uh, getting ready for this talk, this just really has been hitting home for me. I've said it's easier to preach a message that really is you're preaching to yourself. Um, and so I'm working through uh, the the text and, and writing down like things that I see and this idea of crying out to God. And I realize in myself that like sometimes I just don't, like I'm like, oh, let me bottle up um, what I really feel about God because I can't say that to him. And so then I'm just sitting there with this, I'm not, I'm not happy, I, I'm not not joyful, uh, there's an area of my life that just has so much pain. 
or I look at what's going around and, and I'm like, God, where are you? And so as I'm getting ready for this, I'm like, I'm sitting and so I start listening to some music about lament and I end up in the Kroger's parking lot, grocery shopping, remember we talked about that earlier. That's like Friday, which is my typical off day. I'm there at like 8.30 in the morning. I don't know why I started listening to the music as I'm driving there. And all of it, like I pull in and all of a sudden I'm just in tears. I'm hoping nobody's going to pull up next to me. I don't know if you've ever been there. But I'm just going, God, there is some really hard stuff in my life. And it doesn't seem to be getting better. And I've been praying these prayers for, like, how many years do I need to pray? And so I just, in that parking lot in, in my minivan, just cried out and, and lamented before God. I can tell you it was so good for me to just, it was kind of like a weight got off my chest of just going, hey, here it is. Let me be honest with where I'm at. And so I think that is such a healthy place for us to be, is to look at life and to see where I'm struggling, to see where there is, there's real pain. And God is not weak, right? God's not fret. I do not have to walk on eggshells around God. I can tell him. This is what we see all through the scripture, that God can handle it, that he can take it. And so when you look at your life, maybe you look at our world and you just see the corruption going on, you can cry out to God. Maybe you hear in the news another school shooting you can cry out to God. God, where are you? What are you doing? When you see evil and violence in our world and in our nation, you can cry out to God. When your world is crumbling, you can cry out to God. When you feel like darkness is pressing in at all sides, and I can't see a way out. You can cry out to him. When your marriage is at the verge of breaking, you can cry out to him. When you're physically broken, when health is just fading, you can cry out to him. When you lose a father or a mother, a spouse, a sibling, a child, you're broken. You can cry out to him. When you're left abandoned by friends or family, you can cry out. When life is not <laughs> what you expected, God, I've done everything right. Why isn't this better you can cry out to him. He is not a God that is far off or distant. 
My prayer for you this morning is not to necessarily get you, we're going to talk through kind of the rest of the book, but I want to encourage you with this this morning. You can cry out to God. He can handle it. And in fact, when we do that, I think something miraculous happens. It doesn't always happen quick. It's not always the cleanest looking thing. You can sit and lament to him because he's there and he hears. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, man, we, uh, I know myself, I know um, many in our church family uh, that we struggle at times. We look around and all we see is violence, destruction, wickedness, evil. Uh, we see it in our own lives and we need you to move. We need you to be there. Uh, so we cry out to you. We present that to you. Thank you that we're allowed to do that. Thank you that you give us examples of that in scripture to model. And I can cry out to you when I'm at my lowest. Amen. As uh, Julie and Nate play this morning, I just encourage you um, to take a couple minutes. And maybe it's, um, maybe you are really, maybe you're in the place that I'm really struggling. Uh, to just be quiet before God and give that to him. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him the hurt, the pain. Or maybe you're in a season that you're maybe not there. Would you maybe come alongside a friend that you know uh, that is in that season and cry out to God on their behalf?
Dear God, um, we cry out to you. We cry out when we are on the verge of breaking, when we are desperate for you. So would you come close? Would you come close? We believe in your name. Amen. As you leave this morning, can I encourage you and remind you, God can take it. He's not fragile or weak. He can listen to your cry. He can hear you. And maybe you're not yet in the spot of saying what that song says. That he is good, I believe. Maybe you're not there yet. That's okay. Keep crying out to him. That means that you're still in communication. You haven't pushed him away. You haven't stopped talking. Keep crying out to him. And for those of you who are in that phase of, I still believe he is good, come around those that need it. Sit with them. Cry out with them. Be the family, the church family that God talks about with them. 
We have prayer team on our left and on our right here. And so if you need someone to cry out with, uh, they're here for you this morning. Um, thanks for being here. Thanks for entering in. I pray that as you go, uh, you'll go knowing you can talk to a living and true God that does hear you, that does care about you. Your name. Mm-hmm. Thank you.